You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with an array of thinkers, from faith leaders to academics to artists, to explore deep questions of meaning, questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honored to welcome to our show Rabbi Jack Schlachter, physicist at Los Alamos and part-time rabbi to Hamakom in Santa Fe. Rabbi Jack, welcome to our show. Thank you very much, Rabbi Neil. It's great having you here. You're the third rabbi I've had on the show after Rabbi Ben Morrow and Rabbi Ron Wittenstein, but you're also the first who has a science background. And the fact that I have a BSc in astrophysics and have been a rabbi for 15 years while you received a PhD in physics and were privately ordained as a rabbi back in 1995 means we obviously have to talk about science and religion. I agree with you. So, so uh, you brought with you an article on this very topic. And so to start with, can you tell us a little about the article and about its author? Yes, thank you very much. So this is an article that was, I think, originally composed in about 1956 by the Nobel Prize winning physicist Richard Feynman. Uh, Richard Feynman was born in 1918 in New York City and at the age of 25 was brought to Los Alamos as part of the Manhattan Project. So he was a maybe a, not a child prodigy but 25 years old and he was actually a group leader at the lab, laboratory in the Manhattan Project era, made quite a name for himself. Um, and then went on to have a distinguished physics career, not just as a physicist, but as a popular figure, I would say, most notably after the Challenger accident. He's uh-huh. the one who was part of the commission who had the stage demonstration of putting an O-ring into a glass of ice water uh-huh. and showing that that was probably the cause of the accident. So Feynman uh, was a brilliant physicist, quite a character, and I've always admired his physics work. And then I came across this article, and I thought it would be interesting to know what his thoughts were on science and religion. So what's this article called, and where was it from? Um when did he do this? What you know? What what's the background to this to so, this article? Itself? So the article that um, that I shared with you, uh, I have it in an anthology called "The Pleasure of Finding Things Out: The Best Short Works of Richard Feynman." And this particular article is called "The Relation of Science and Religion." I think it was originally given uh, at Caltech, where he was a professor for many many years in the nineteen fifties and nineteen fifty six. I think he was probably about thirty eight years old old at the time that he composed this. I think that's important because Mm -hmm. we go through phases in life and uh, you read about the 38-year-old Feynman, it's probably not the same as the 68-year-old Feynman. So uh, is this article immature? Is it not well-researched? Is that what you're saying about the age? I I would say that when I read the article, I was disappointed in some ways with what I thought was a lack of understanding of Judaism. He doesn't actually mention Judaism at all in the article, as I recall, uh, though he was Jewish by birth. I think he he shunned uh, identifying, if you will, with a particular subset and, and actually wrote – 
I remember in a letter to somebody uh, that he didn't want his name listed as uh, Jewish Nobel Prize winners. He thought that those kind of categorizations were harmful and that uh, the Holocaust in some sense was a result of people categorizing others and rather would prefer to be just considered a human being. Interesting. So this is an article written by someone who moved away from their religion and yet it's an article about science and religion. I, I would say he moved – certainly he was distant from traditional Judaism as we would call it, as certainly as you and I would call it. Uh, and he seemed somewhat ignorant of Judaism to me in the article in particular. What, what was it that led you to that? Um, well, uh, I think he – expresses what he thinks a religious person is, namely somebody who has a strong set of beliefs. And I don't think that that's my definition of a religious person. So, so what is a religious person? Is it somebody who struggles? Is it somebody who asks? Is it somebody who believes? I mean, there are certainly faiths where people, um, the, the description of somebody in that faith is they believe in. Um, Judaism is different then. At least in my – so certainly this is my perspective. Obviously, you're well aware of the fact that two Jews, three opinions, sure. um, and I don't even know who's the third one in the room <laughs> with us. But but um, my feeling is that uh, – or at least for me, Judaism is much more centered on action than on belief. And uh, one could be a disbelieving person, if you will, and still be a religious Jew. I read a wonderful article one time uh, by Rabbi Bob Alper about uh, his efforts to support a uh, grassroots movement during the race riot period in the late 60s, I believe. Um, and there was, uh, there was an effort to establish a storefront office for a, a group that wanted to help promote uh, racial equality. And he put out a call to his congregation for some furniture to help uh, create this office. One of the congregants drove up with a truck filled with furniture. He happened to be a furniture salesman or a furniture uh, owner, furniture store owner. And he dumped off all this furniture and said, there's no charge. I just wanted to help out. And then he started to apologize and he said, you know, I'm not a religious person. Uh -huh. And Rabbi Bob Alper said, no, what you mean is you're not a frequent synagogue attender or maybe you don't keep the laws of kashrut. But the very fact that you brought all this furniture over to me expresses that you are a religious person. So relig being religious means walking in uh – in a particular way, I mean, we have this concept in Judaism, as you know, halakha, of, 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 of the way to be, the way to go. Is, is it about doing? And if it's about doing, what differentiates Judaism to any kind of social justice club? That's a good question, of course, and uh, I'm not sure I have a, a sophisticated answer to that. Um, I think Judaism does try to share with us uh, a particular path, as you say, um, and it is focused more, for me at least, on the interpersonal relations. Um, but there is an overarching sense that we treat other human beings as made in God's image. So if there's no God at all, that's a hard concept, but exactly what we mean by God might be left uh, a lot to the reader, if you will. So if you struggle a bit with Feynman's um, lack of knowledge of Judaism or, or at least um, his lack of expression of the depth of Judaism, what makes this such an important article? 
so I put together a talk not too long ago about um, science and religion or maybe in its narrowest sense physics and Judaism because I'm often asked by people, is there a contradiction? How do you resolve this in your own life? And when I started to look into this, I realized that you could go to the most eminent physicist, for example, which is what I was trying to do when I found this article, and probably find in most cases a lack of understanding of what Judaism is the way I view it. Right. You could do the same thing and go to the most sophisticated Jewish scholar and find what I think is a lack of understanding of what science is. Mm. And so for me, I was searching for an article that expressed my position and I, in the end, I don't think I found it. <laughs> so then, do you have to write it? Is that where, is that where you're headed? Um, possibly, but it's painful for me to write. I don't mind speaking <laughs> and I don't mind putting notes together. But I had multiple people after my talk, people who missed the talk, say, could I get a copy of the transcript? And there is no transcript. Is. I put together the talk from notes, some of which were informed by this article by Feynman, some of which were informed by a book by Rabbi Jonathan. And Sachs. Oh. And, um, and yet I would say he didn't understand science in the same sense that I think Feynman didn't understand Judaism. So Feynman, in this article, he constantly refers to God and he explains he's referring to the and, and to quote the kind of personal God characteristic of the Western religions to whom you pray and who has something to do with creating the universe and guiding you with morals. Is that a fair representation of God in Judaism as you understand it? There's a wonderful book that I've used for several classes now called Finding God by Rabbis Daniel Sine and Rifat Sansino. And I think their contention is there's no one view of God within Jewish tradition. Right. What most people do is they are exposed to God in the Bible or in what you might call the rabbinic literature, most particularly the prayer book, mm. because if they go to synagogue, they read a prayer book. And they're turned off by that view of God. And for the authors of Finding God, that's a tragedy because right. they think that I don't believe in that God, therefore I must not believe in God, therefore I must not really be Jewish, and, and it goes down a very bad path. And I think Feynman in some sense went down that path as well, that the God that he was exposed to was not a God he could believe in, and therefore he found himself uncomfortable with the idea of believing in God. The book Finding God, I think, shows quite clearly that Jewish thought leaders throughout the millennia have had quite different thoughts mm. on what God is. Um, I also read an interesting article that it would take me quite a while to try to find now, and I have no idea who wrote it. But it's a dialogue, a fictitious dialogue between a non-believer and perhaps a rabbi. Um, and the person says, I don't believe in God. And then the rabbi says, define for me the right. God that you don't believe in. Right. And and then the problem is that that's not the only definition of God. I, it's interesting. I'd love to see that article because that's exactly what I say to teenagers. I, I'd say, who, which, which God do you not believe in? And they said, you know, the guy in the clouds with a beard. With a beard. And I say, well done. Okay, right. now you've moved beyond. So So now who is the God who you can believe in or who you might experience? Um, and... 
the the pushback that I sometimes get from that is, yeah, but that's not really God. Mm-hmm. If you look in the Bible, then you know that's really the the main expression of God. And if you look look in the liturgy, in the siddur, in the prayer book, then that's how we talk about God regularly. So if you want to turn around and say. Um, a la Spinoza, God is, you know, in everything and of everything. Or if you want to say a la Buba, that God is connected, you can you can encounter and God is in the relationship. That's really just playing with words because really back at the core, it, it's, it's still a big guy in a cloud. Isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? Right. Yeah. That I don't believe in. Um, right. So I think that was exactly the intent of the authors of Finding God was to target a teenage audience who might be poised to leave Judaism, if you will. And, to, and, and you'll appreciate this, I know, because of your background. They created a matrix. They came up with what I thought were very fundamental questions about the nature of the divine. And then they had columns associated with each of these different perspectives, like Buber, like Spinoza, like um, uh, Philo in there. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and then the idea is pick and choose and create your own understanding of what the divine is all about and populate your own matrix that way. There, there must be people listening thinking, wait, but that's just making up your own religion, isn't it? So how do you respond as a rabbi? Because I, I believe we have a very different relationship with questioning and, and defining, uh, p- particularly as progressive rabbis. So, so is this still not just making things up to fit you so that you can say, yeah, I believe in God, but I, I can't explain it because it's a, a little bit of Kaplan's God and a bit of Maimonides' God and, and almost lacks consistency, doesn't it? I think it becomes consistent for you as an individual and in that sense because Judaism for me is much more focused on what do you do with that view rather than how do you try to promote it to others, uh, I think it works fine. So so long as um, our theology, whether or not it's taken from differing perspectives over millennia, so long as it impels us to good action, that's a good Jewish theology? To me, that would work. And and then the question, of course, becomes what is good action? What what are the right things to do? And I actually think that in Feynman's article, he comes down in the end to saying that Judaism or religion actually in general does help us uh, figure out, am I doing the right thing? I, I think he – at least what I remember is that he – has quite a division between what he thinks science does, which is to say, if I do this, what will happen? And uh, religion that says, do I want that to happen? And on the part of do I want that to happen, he doesn't really have much objection from what I could tell. I I, I agree. Let's take a pause. And when we come back, we're going to look more uh, at this article. So you're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich. And my guest uh, this evening is Rabbi Jack Schlachter, a physicist at Los Alamos and also part-time rabbi to Hamakom in Santa Fe. You're back listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. And uh, my guest this evening is Rabbi Jack Schlachter from Los Alamos Labs and also uh, from Hamakom, the community in Santa Fe. So we were looking at this article, The Relation of Science and Religion by Richard Feynman, and um, he talks of doubt being imperative to science and certainly being essential to religion. And I wonder, is doubt um, a 
Is that your experience of religion or is that how you teach about Judaism in terms of certainty and doubt? I think I became a scientist at the age of four without knowing that that was exactly what I was doing. Um, I became quite passionate about the physical world and understanding it from very early on and knew that I would become a scientist. Actually, I thought an astronomer, so uh -huh. more up your alley. <laughs> um, but um, I think that it was instilled in me early on that a uh, scientist means a questioner. Mm. And, and I think it's impossible to turn that off. I think when one is trained to be a scientist, one cannot say, okay, in this area, I'm no longer going to ask questions, uh, but everywhere else, I can question what's going on. So my approach to Judaism, if you will, is a questioning approach, and I see no contradiction in that. Um, the Talmud, for example, as I'm sure you are aware, records arguments mm. not because it wants to fill volumes but because how we arrive at answers is as important as what the final answer is. And we arrive at it by challenging each other's assumptions. And I think uh, – I mean there are times even in Talmud and I'm trying to think. I think it's Pesachim 93a where they, where they perform a science experiment and it's a dreadful experiment about whether – does the sun go above the firmament or below the firmament and, and they conclude it must go oh, – oh, sorry, below the earth earth, above the firmament or below the earth. Where does it go at night? And they conclude it must go under the earth because pools of water are warm at night. Um, and so therefore the sun must be underneath heating it. And I, I find myself looking at that thinking, that's actually very smart. That's proper science because they are asking questions and trying to analyze the data that they've received. And it can be uh, something as as literally astronomical as that, or it can be something much more theological. At least we can then turn around and say, I, I see their method. I just don't agree with their method. I would come to a different conclusion. Right. And, and you know, to come back to Feynman, I think there's a quotation attributed to him that no matter how beautiful a theory is, and he was a theorist, in the end, if the experiment gives you a different answer, the theory is wrong. Right. And, and I think that's still true. I mean, it's tr it applies to the religious world, too. If we mm. saw something that's completely uh, inconsistent with the, uh, the belief that we have, it would be hard to maintain that belief. But I think what Feynman says in the article is that uh, there is a shift for a scientist from uh, is there a God to how sure is it that there is right. a God. And I see no problem with that. I mean if we saw something that proved incontrovertibly that there is no God, it would be very hard then to be a believer. I think you, you, you've touched on an, an extremely important point, which is that so many people um, of faith – see something that totally contradicts their belief and will say, well, it's a mystery or, well, I, I don't understand. It's God's way, as opposed to necessarily saying, maybe my theology needs to change. Maybe I need to view God or religion in a different way. And so it, it's very interesting bringing Feynman's concept of asking and, and exploring and then modifying to faith, because I think uh, instead of just saying, I mean, it would never work in a lab. You couldn't turn around and go, well, I, I just don't know why that, why that happened. I guess it's a mystery. We'll have to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's interesting to, I think, compare those ways. Uh, he suggests, Feynman suggests, regardless of metaphysical claims, he says the moral code of religion can still survive. But aren't all moral codes 
based on metaphysical assumptions. Probably that's true. Um, I'm thinking of a book that I read many years ago by uh, Dennis Prager and Joseph Telushkin called, I think, Nine Questions Jews Ask or something like that. Um, And they say, couldn't you just come up with a moral code independent of uh, some belief in the divine? And they struggle with that and I think conclude that you could come up with a self-consistent moral system that was amoral by our definition. So you do need an injection of something to keep it from going completely off the rails. I mean, what is it that would prevent me from saying there's a moral system that says everything is mine right. and I'm just going to take what's your, what you think is yours because by my definition, everything is mine. That doesn't really work. So there are some fundamentals built into probably most religions that, that talk about uh, an overarching sense of why this is the right way to go. He says the scientific question, and this comes back to the question that we were exploring before, is if I do this, what will happen? Is that a fair assessment of the scientific question to you? Is that how you experience science? If I do this, what will happen? I think in a very simplified sense, that is a good definition of of maybe the scientific method as opposed to science. But yes, I think that's that's right. One wants to create some rather simple, understandable model and then go with it to figure out what are the predictions from that model and then do the experiment and then say, did it work or not? Could that apply to religion? Could we say in a moral way, if I do this, what will happen in the sense of if I steal this, what will happen? And so some faith people will say, well, you'll go to hell. Um, Or, um, you know, we can form faith responses, but is that is that question applicable to religion as well? Well, that's an interesting that's an interesting idea. I think maybe if one was uh, well versed in history and in civilizations past, one could probably then say, "Here's a civilization that was built on a premise that stealing is okay and things didn't work." I mean, so probably the experiment has been done. Um, but I think in the in the end. Judaism is still around, and in some sense, to me, that's some proof, if you will, that this is a system that has some value and has something to offer the world. So you're making the argument that that because we're still around, because Judaism has existed for so long, it has value. But then could it not just be fortune? Could it not be just luck? Could it not be a particular way of surviving from the very beginning, having been expelled and oppressed and so on? So we know how to cope with adversity more than other people. Does length of history imply value? Possibly not. I I concede to you that 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 is not necessarily proof. Um, On the other hand, um, for me, it does seem to provide value. Um, Another topic from the article that I'm hoping that we can cover, actually, is the idea of prayer and what is the function of prayer. And we don't have proof that, you know, I pray and then tomorrow the red bicycle shows up. On the other hand, for me, the idea that the word for prayer in Hebrew is in the reflexive form mm. says it really is acting on us from us. And and to me, that's beautiful. So what does Feynman say of prayer then? What is? I think he's troubled by the idea of this personal God who mm. listens to prayer and answers prayer. 
And I can understand why that's problematic for him. And yet the concept of prayer for me and why I encourage people to try praying even if they have problems with believing in God is because it works on oneself. It's, it, it's an opportunity for one to reflect on how am I living my life. And coming back to the questions you had at the very beginning, uh, to the best that we know, we have one life. There may be people who believe otherwise, and there's no way to prove that or maybe even to disprove it. But but what we know is we have the life we are living today. And can I make that a meaningful life is something that I think most people want to do. Prayer is a way to try to see if you're on track. With a, with a few minutes left, where I have sympathy for Feynman is in his analysis of science deconstructing fundamental fundamental metaphysical claims of religion. So biblical religion put humanity, specifically man, at the center of creation, and science has shown that to be categorically untrue. And biblical religion says that humanity was placed on earth for a divine purpose, and science has shown that that's not how we evolved. Um, so can religion, particularly biblically-based religions like Judaism, can religion survive such denunciation of core metaphysical principles? I think an example of whether Judaism can survive that has to do with um, the age of the universe. Mm -hmm. So the age of the universe, I think we can show quite clearly scientifically, is not 6,000 years, right. for example. And yet I don't think anybody struggles so much with that in a Jewish context because we know that words have different meanings, that ancient texts are intended to convey a message to people with a certain worldview. Right. You couldn't imagine a Bible written thousands of years ago that that said the world is, you know, 13 billion years old. It would probably not go down very easily. Scientific notation probably was not so familiar right. to people back then. <laughs> but, but I think what is the message of the Bible becomes very important. And for me, I have to say, that is why my house is filled with books, because it, we're not literalists as such. Right. Jews generally do not have a fundamentalist approach in the sense of taking the words as having only one meaning. And so then it becomes incumbent to know how have others looked at those words and suddenly your house is filled with 7,000 <laughs> books. So uh, perhaps our final question, as he concludes the article, he says that the two ways of thinking of science and religion can stand together. He says that science has the spirit of the unknown and that it humbles the intellect while religion has ethics based on love and the value of the individual. In summation, do you think that's a fair way of thinking of science and religion? I don't think it's too bad. I, I like the Hasidic uh, teaching that we should have some balance, that if we start to get too arrogant, we should remember that humility is important and that uh, we're lowly in that sense. But we shouldn't go too far down that path and we should also remember there's a spark of something greater than ourselves that we each seem to possess and that we should treat others with that as well. I think that's beautiful. So, I mean, it could be that we um – when we, when we look at the universe on a scientific perspective, it becomes a very cold, lonely place and religion can, can help us fill a place, feel, feel belonging. I think there's a part of that. But also I like that Feynman said that mystery and majesty of matter, to see life as part of the universal mystery and in awe, that probably is his expression of God, but he didn't know it. 
that's a wonderful place for us to end. Thank you so much, Rabbi Jack from Los Alamos and from Hamakon. Thank you for coming in today and, and really talking about science and religion and helping us explore uh, the depths of this. I really hope you'll be able to come back another time and, and talk with us some more. Thank you very much. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich uh, from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Uh, thanks again to my guest, Rabbi Jack Schlachter. You've really been a, a wonderful um, guest, and I really hope that we, can, that we can talk again soon. Thank you. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching. <laughs>